the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well-designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Welcome to your Vibrant Life Podcast. My name is Haley, and my mission is to help busy, burnt-out individuals increase their energy naturally and discover how good their bodies are designed to feel. If you're struggling with digestion, body image, or fatigue, you're in the right place. On this podcast, I will be providing you with the simple and effective strategies that me and my clients use to feel vibrant every day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now let's get into today's episode. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to your Vibrant Life podcast. I'm your host, Haley, and today I'm joined by my friend and coworker, Lauren Bixby. Lauren is one of our head coaches at Health Pillars and has joined our team back in October. So welcome, Lauren. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and where you're from? Oh my gosh. Hey, Haley. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited. Ever since I learned about this podcast, I am 22. I live in the US, Michigan, to be more specific. And I've been coaching as a personal trainer for about two and a half years now. Graduated college, went to the whole nine to five job. Not for me, but I'm really happy that this is where I'm here now. Cool. Super happy to have you and also very happy to have you on the podcast, obviously. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorite concepts when it comes to coaching our clients to establish a positive relationship with food. And this idea is what we we call no cheat days. So I know for myself that food used to be everything other than food. It was a reward. It was a crutch. And on the flip side of that, I had a negative relationship with my body. I was using exercise as a form of punishment for the food that I ate. So Lauren, you and I have, and I have similar stories that we kind of connected about when you first started coaching with health pillars, when it comes to, you know, calorie restriction, binge eating, disordered eating. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Well, we can kind of share our stories and give them a little bit of insight into what that looked like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't the most fun time, but at the end of the day, I'm glad that it happened because I was able to learn from it and share that with everyone else a lot like today. It really was at the beginning of my fitness journey. I'm in college, you know, when you're surrounded by people who live and breathe salads on the weekdays and binge drinking on the weekends, I would really think that that is how it all started breeding. And then kind of at the end of my college during senior year, it really just became uh, being surrounded by people in the gym. I was spending three hours in the gym to hang out with friends, but also it was a game of seeing how many calories you could burn on your Apple watch. And then that soon got tied in with, well, I think I can lose 25 pounds. And this was my goal that I had like set for myself. And soon enough, it kind of changed from just eating it within my calories on my fitness pal and like having fun workouts to my workouts becoming longer or doing fasted cardio in the morning while my boyfriend was sleeping in bed, like going to the gym at 5am before class or seeing what one more hour I could go without eating as calling that intermittent fasting, (laughs) seeing how long I could go or like how little of a sandwich I could eat for lunch to kind of get into this idea of calorie hoarding. That was something that I really associated my binge eating with was, well, you only ate 
726 calories before 10 p.m. today. So you can probably, I mean, you need to make up for all the other calories that you didn't eat. And that just kind of more of like a floodgate situation to where it was half a jar of peanut butter, half a loaf of bread, like just going on and on to where the next day you just lay in bed as long as you could because you're intermittent fasting. So if you go near the kitchen, it is your, it's just game over. And maybe it would add in here and there. I would go do a three and a half mile walk at 11 a.m. because that took two and a half hours because I would walk really slow and that would be that much longer I would stay out of the kitchen for. Okay. And so I just yeah, think I think yeah. that when we kind of get into this place of, you know, playing this game of, you know, exercising to earn our food, it becomes, you know, we can develop a very toxic relationship with food. And I've been there myself, you know, like I can eat this tonight if I go run 10 kilometers tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that kind of basis. But I think for most of our listeners, this will be familiar. You guys, if you're listening to this, give me a head nod if you're in your car or Maybe you're on the gym on the treadmill. Give me a head nod if this sounds familiar to you. So Monday until Friday, around lunchtime anyways, you crush your macros, you drink all of your water, you don't eat any quote unquote bad foods. And then by the time Friday rolls around, you justify a well-deserved cheat meal or you're find yourself overindulging in pizza or Ben and Jerry's. And you feel like at that point in time that you can't stop, like it's impossible to stop until whatever's in your hands has completely disappeared. Your elbows deep in a bag of chips, or you're staring at the bottom of a carton of Ben and Jerry's. And the next day you wake up feeling, maybe it's ashamed, maybe it's guilty. Maybe you feel sick when you wake up. Maybe you guys have woken up with a bit of a food hangover, but we know that that mood kind of carries over for a couple of days. You're not feeling great, but because you've already ruined your diet, you may as well just start over again on Monday. And so we go to the gym on Monday and jump on the treadmill to burn off all the calories we ate on the weekend. And so this cycle repeats. So I think that for a lot of you guys, maybe that's familiar, but I want to tell you our little secret and our little secret at health pillars with no cheat days is that it's not to cut out all junk food or sugar completely. And that we're able to dissociate needing to earn our food through exercise. So it's not about having a perfect diet. And that's the whole point of this no cheat days conversation. I want to talk about the word cheat for a second. So Lauren, when you say the word cheat, what other emotions come up for you? I would say a lot of guilt comes along with that. And a lot of needing to hide what you're actually doing comes with that. So closet eating, closet eating cheat Mm -hmm. meals, familiar with that for sure. But the word cheat triggers shame and negative emotions for us. And we know that, you know, cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife is frowned upon. People still do it. We know that, but it's definitely frowned upon and it's a really slippery slope, right? To guilt and shame. Yeah. So I also think that this can be a bit of a trigger for us when we have cheat meals for last supper eating. And if you don't know what last supper eating is, it's this mindset of I'm never going to do this to myself again. I promise this is the last time I'm going to eat Ben and Jerry's. And so if it's the last time I'm going to do it, then it's okay if I eat all of it because I'm never going to do it again. I may as well make it disappear right now. That way it won't be in my fridge tomorrow. How many of you guys have done that? Give yourself a silent head nod, right? That's called last supper eating. So I think the word cheat makes us feel guilty. We don't like feeling guilty as humans. Like we don't like that feeling. It's uncomfortable. It makes us kind of squirm, right? And so we can find ourselves very quickly going into last supper eating, uh, almost like a feeding frenzy because we've promised ourselves that it's the last time. So 
learn in your own personal experience, how do you find restricting, you know, that intermittent fasting that you might've called it or cutting out some of your favorite foods has affected you? Like, have you ever experienced last supper eating before? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, so many times of specifically one that I can recall. It was the day after my 21st birthday, my family wanted to have like a fire with friends over with me. And some friends had like brought me some seltzers as you do for someone's 21st birthday. And I had two of them and decided that this was going to be the last time I drank. So I might as well drink the whole pack. And the last time I ate s'mores in my whole life. So why don't I just eat? I had an entire box of graham crackers that day. So I can definitely attest to that last supper eating. Been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's something that we can really learn on and reflect on as well. But let's just talk about some simple facts, you guys. And I mean, these are going to be some relatively generic statistics, but diets have about an 80 to 90% fail rate. Now define failed. You know, what is the definition of failure? In most cases, when we're looking at studies, success rate is defined on whether or not they lost weight, but success rate of most diets is about 80 to 90%. So losing weight and keeping it off. I think inevitably our momentum in any kind of fitness journey or dietary endeavors slows down at some point, you know, it's like that honeymoon phase. Like how many times Lauren, have you started a new training program or a new nutrition <laughs> plan? And you're like, yes, this is so exciting. And you go all in for that one week. And then a week, or maybe it's two weeks later, you're like, uh, you know, then, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you were weighing your peanut butter on the scale and then all of a sudden you were using I a tablespoon so and then you're like using the kitchen spatula to put it onto yeah. your toast in the morning. Yeah. So we all know that, right. It's exciting and exhilarating for the first, you know, initial phases of any kind of diet. And we get sold that we get sold it. You know, the marketing is so, so strong out there in the health and fitness industry. They advertise lose 30 pounds in 30 days, or, you know, do the 75 hard, don't drink alcohol for 75 days. And it's not that we're not motivated. I don't think, or that we're not lazy. I don't think people are necessarily lazy. Like a lot of people have incredible careers or success in their lives or are amazing parents, but they have a very inconsistent relationship with food or with training. Right. So I don't think that it's necessarily that it's a lazy person or an unmotivated person. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with not understanding the values of food. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I think we all know that food, I mean, I hope we all know that food has more value than just nutritional value, right? More than what we see on the nutrition label. So let's talk about some of the other ways that food might show up with different values in our lives. Lauren, for you, you know, other than nutritional value, what kind of values do you place on food? Food brings a lot of happiness and togetherness with people I love. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some, I mean, we're just past Christmas and New Year's. And so a lot of food around that time of year is in celebration. So celebration can be one of the values that food has, you know, I've every single holiday that I can think of, including, you know, special days like birthdays, we have some kind of food or beverage associated with it, right? You know, long weekends renowned for barbecues mm-hmm. and beers. So those aren't bad things necessarily, like all values have their time and place. Yeah. But I think I think that sometimes if we start to really delve into the nutritional value of food, that we're able to better honor our body's health as well as our happiness in those moments. So for example, like I really feel like eating some lucky charms right now, mm-hmm. but I know that I need more than luck on an exam tomorrow. So I want to be mentally clear and I might make you know different food choices the evening before an exam, because I'm aware of 
the nutritional value of food. I guess where I'm going with this is where would we lose our sense of value in food? Like how would we lose sense of that? That is a really Stumped good you. question. Yeah, yeah okay. you really did. <laughs> That's okay. So feeling like you've lost the nutritional value of food because food is everything else, right? Food becomes a reward system. Like we talked about rewarding you for exercise. We've placed, I guess, different roles of food in our lives, but not necessarily with any kind of value. So food is being used as a reward system or food is being used to cheat on ourselves. And so we kind of lose touch with the nutritional value. And I think we also lose touch with the baseline of how good our bodies are designed to feel. Because if we're constantly, you know, looking for a quick reward or a quick sugar fix, you know, a quick hit of caffeine, we're having a quick latte, things like that. We're not really looking for nutritional value. We're just looking for, you know, cheap and easy in a lot of cases. And in that, I think we lose our ability to tap into true hunger and satiety, especially when we're doing things like skipping meals. We lose our ability to tap into, you know, how good food can make us feel if we're making the right nutritional choices for our body. So I think another thing, you know, that we can talk about when we're talking about food and and no cheat days is the ability to make choices without feeling guilty or ashamed. So let's go into that a little bit and, and kind of, you know, how you give yourself permission to enjoy some food freedom in your life, Lauren, what are some situations where you would, you know, value food and then, you know, for its nutritional value versus valuing food for enjoyment, valuing food for connecting with friends, et cetera. Absolutely. So I know right off the bat, something that I choose to do every day is to have a more nutritional breakfast with different vitamins, nutrients, things to keep me full. Because with the big work day ahead, like I want to be full until one or two o'clock. I don't want to be hungry at 11 when I'm deep in the zone working. And then I would say, a time when I really just value food more for the connectivity it brings would be this past Christmas, my partner got me a HelloFresh subscription, which I think is so fun. And to actually take a step back and make recipes with him that I'm not really able to look at a nutrition label for is something that I really recently have been able to value. And I'm super thankful for that. Yeah. Being able to cook and spend time with your loved ones is, is a huge place where we can place, you know, the enjoyment of food or, or letting food bring us together. Something that we encourage our clients to do is learning how to politely decline in social settings, right? So if in that moment you choose to have a slice of pizza, then you can accept it with saying thank you and not needing to justify that, you know, you're going to have to burn off that slice of pizza that you just accepted with, you know, an extra 30 minutes on the treadmill tomorrow. And you also have the power to choose and say, no, thank you. or not right now based on your understanding that food has these different values, right? Like I really want to have a slice of cake, but I also just worked out and I'm super focused on my, you know, building my physique and my weight loss goal. So I'm going to have a protein shake and then decide, you know, I'm going to decide then if I'm satiated or, or satisfied, or if I want to have like a small piece of cake afterwards, right? So we get to start to kind of prioritize our choices and make choices based on both of body's needs as well as our personal wants. You know, it's not about denying that it wouldn't taste good. That's the key here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not saying like, I'm never going to have a s'more again because I hate s'mores. You know, it's not about saying I'm, I'm never going to, oh, well, it was fun for me. Like I'm never going to have, you know, cereal. Cereals, I love cereal. It's like I'm never going to have cereal again because cereal's bad for me, right? Because then as soon as you get your hands on the, the s'mores 
to the box of pizza and you have a small piece, it's like, there goes that last supper eating all over again and, and the guilt shame spiral. Mm-hmm. So it's really about making empowered decisions to eat food based on, on the values that you're in, in that present moment. So, you know, if it's a birthday and you're out with your best friend, you're going to have a glass of champagne and a piece of their delicious cake and that's okay. And then, you know, in the moment, the day before your exam or right after a workout, you know, you're valuing the nutrient density of food and you're possibly going to have the protein shake or before the exam, maybe you're having, you know, some salmon with some good omega-3s and some, some foods that are really going to support your brain health and optimize your performance in that aspect. All right. So one other thing that I want to mention here when we're talking about social settings is the word I can't, because I think this is a really strong word. What do other people say to us, Lauren, when you say I can't, like if you tell someone that you can't have something, what's their most likely response like oh you need to stay in shape or like oh like because you're into fitness yeah they're gonna challenge you so you're gonna likely (laughs) feel judgment if you say i can't because other people may feel insecure of their decisions in choosing that food so you know someone offers you for example the bowl of chips and you say i can't have that immediately you push that other person into a place where they feel the guilt and shame. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's another conversation that we have with our clients. That's really powerful. It's, you know, it's not about saying I can't, you know, I can't have that food. It's not about making food rules because every single person Mm -hmm. around you, right. Is going to try and convince you. Otherwise, have you ever had that (laughs) where you're like, you say, no, thanks. Or you say, I can't. And then everybody asks why. Oh my gosh. She tries to say that it's just this or it's just that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I've found on my own personal fitness journey that it's not about, you know, making food rules that are super limiting because then you feel like you're always trying to break your own rules and and other people are trying to convince you to break your rules. It's about making empowered decisions for yourself. And it can be as simple as saying not today, you know, and that implies that maybe you'd really enjoy to have the potato chips or the beer tomorrow, but it's just not in, you know, not in the cards for today for you. And I think people respect choices more than they are going to challenge rules that you put up or barriers that you put up around yourself. They're going to be like, Oh, let me help you out with that. I'll knock that wall down for you here, eat the chips. Right. So um, they're trying to help us out. Right. And in their best interest as well, but yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit as well about the scale while we're here, because if you're on a weight loss journey and you're trying to repair your relationship with food, what happens if you're using the scale as your only source of information? So you're on a fitness journey, you're counting your calories, you're doing your cardio, you're going to the gym. And the only marker of progress you have is the scale. What does that mean? I would say you probably are just going to be playing the game of how little can I put into my body? Because that means how low the scale will, you think will go. Yeah. And also I've been in that, in the situation and I'm sure you have two where you step on the scale and it goes up and then what? Oh gosh. Yeah. You better not eat breakfast the next day. Just kidding. Yeah. Or you end up pushing the fuck it button. Cause you're like, this isn't working. Yeah. You know? That as well. You know, like I've tried everything I've done the cardio. I've lifted the weights. I've ate the broccoli. Nothing's working. <laughs> fuck it. I'm done. I'm mm-hmm. over it. Right. How many of us have been there where we step on the scale and then we push the fuck it button because our only source of information that's telling us we're going in the right direction is a number of our bodies relative to gravity, which makes you know very little sense when we're talking about, you know, the values of food. So what are some of the subjective measures that you encourage? your clients to look for when they're learning to experience the value of food? I really hope that they start looking for like their energy in the gym, or if they hit a new weight PR or rep PR, their quality of sleep, 
how much water that they consume, like how it makes them feel and if they have more positive thinking. Yeah. Those are huge ones. Like huge mood is massive. Like we can connect, you know, all of our hormones, balanced hormones back to appropriate nutrition and well-managed stress. But I think that, you know, our mind and body are so strongly connected that we can feel more stressed and more anxious if we're skipping meals or not well-balanced in terms of our nutrition. And so yeah, balanced mood, better digestion, clear skin, you know, better hormones, better sleep. Like you mentioned, all of those things are what we would call subjective measures. You know, I can't personally weigh them with a scale. You're going to have to tell me, you know, oh, my sleep's better. Oh, my stress levels seem lower. Mm. You know, my skin is brighter and people are going to be able to see that from your pictures and things like that. You feel stronger, right? So if you're only focused on loss, and this is a huge, you know, something that we talk about a lot at health pillars is that, you know, you cannot weigh your progress on the scale. It's objective. Like our coaches, you know, it's important for us to see, you know, if we see your pictures and, and we see, you know, what's relative on the scale, you know, how hard you've been training, we're, we might be looking for a muscle gain. You know, we're not always just looking for that number on the scale to be relative for weight loss. We're looking for, you know, muscle gained. We're looking for tone of your muscles. We're looking to see if you're holding water in your body. So my advice to any of listeners out there who are on a fitness journey and, and kind of like freestyling it, doing it on their own would be don't just use the scale. And if anything, toss the scale out and use pictures, you know, take pictures of yourself weekly and in good lighting. And that really, is going to help you to see how your body's changing. Yeah. If you're only focused on loss, you have blindfolds to the markers of where you're winning and what's going well. So yeah, I think we've, we've gone through a lot of this of like, you know, really understanding different reasons that we might eat food, right? So if we're using it to fill a void or provide some kind of short-term pleasure rewards for good behavior, like earning the right to eat a cookie, you know, all of those things, right? So shifting your perception to really I guess, better see the different values that food has rather than abusing food for things. And and also understanding that it's okay to eat food just to enjoy it. Like, I think that's a tough one for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's like, they need to justify it. Like, oh, I've earned this cookie or I deserve this cookie. I earned it. I worked so hard that I deserve this beer. It's okay just to enjoy a beer just because you want to, just to enjoy a cookie just because you want to. Yeah. So, and I think as well, having another objective or I guess another perspective as well is very helpful you know, having someone to talk through some of the experiences or stressors or emotions that you're feeling throughout your life, because obviously the conversation around food can become very sensitive if food has been comfort for you for years, right? Taking that away, it's like there can be a lot of, you know, emotions coming up that you're no longer Mm -hmm. coping with very well. So having a friend or a therapist or a counselor or a coach, someone there to, to talk you through those periods of your life, you know, when you are looking to improve your relationship with food can be super powerful. So Lauren, would you agree that, you know, behaviors, psychology, and relationship with food are more important than perfect nutrition? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Consistency over perfection. Yeah. I love that. That's super key. So that being said, obviously we know some foods are more nutrient dense. And so what are some of the, I know we talked about like clear skin and good digestion. I I, honestly, we understand that the science is inarguable. We want to place an emphasis on good nutrient dense foods in our diet and obviously steering clear of as much heavily processed food as possible, especially when we're in the context of valuing food for nutrient density. But let's connect some of the dots. So what are some of the things that you might feel when you focus more on whole foods and less on processed foods? I feel right off the bat, I know, I notice this difference all of the time, how much more full and satiated I feel when I eat like a nutrient dense whole based food instead of 
Cheez-Its from the box. Yeah. Interesting kind of statistic for you. I think it's like about five to 600 calories additionally a day, like the average person mm-hmm. who eats a whole foods diet versus the average person who eats a more processed foods diet. The person mm. on the processed foods diet eats anywhere from five to 600 calories more than the person on the whole foods diet. And then claims that they're, you know, satisfied or, or mm-hmm. um, you know, feeling full after those meals. So super, I love that point that you brought up, like actually feeling satisfied after your meal and feeling good. Okay. Here's a question for you. What about foods that you know are good for you, but they taste bad? What do you have to say about that? Like, is there any foods out there? You're like, man, I just really can't stand Brussels sprouts or, you know, like greens powder. I just can't stand oh, it. Is yeah. there anything like that? Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, it's quite a few vegetables I don't really care for, namely like pumpkin or like squash situation. I don't eat chicken. Um, I just don't like it. So I know that those foods can be good for you and they can provide a lot of value. I would just urge you to find another food, whole food that provides that same type of value. Like it's not one size fits all when it comes to whole foods. There are so many options. Yeah. And that was a perfect lead into, into where I want to go next with this is when we're talking about no cheat days, which is, you know, the whole idea behind this episode, it's, you know, how do we shift away from cheating on ourselves? You know, how do we shift away from cheating on our diets? It's about, you know, really understanding the values of food and letting those values, you know, surface at different times. But I think it's also understanding that you have to value both your health and happiness. Like Lauren just said, like you can't choke down pumpkin if you hate it. Like it, it makes no sense. It's no longer good for you. If you're not happy, if you're eating the same salad every day and you're like, I hate this salad, this is terrible, but I'm doing it for the cause of losing weight. <laughs> at some point you're going to fail. You know, you're tired of punishing yourself. You're sick of it. And you end up rebelling against your own rules and your own choices because it's not fun for you. So I think part of it, um, when it comes to, you know, shifting from this no cheat days mentality and being able to enjoy food is that equally valuing your health and happiness. And in that, like, like we've talked about, you know, a positive setting, it's a birthday. You want to have some cake and some ice cream. Amazing. But if it's a day after, you know, a shitty day at work and you come home and you're going to have a tub of Ben and Jerry's, it's like, that's where we want to reconsider. You know, that's where we want to take a look at your habits and your choices and understand, yes, your happiness is super important. Participating in that social setting might be a plus for you, but is it going to be a positive for you to eat that ice cream after a stressful day at work? Or is it just going to, you know, deepen the sense of negative emotions that you're experiencing? Right. So yeah, super strongly encourage you to look at your food choices in those moments of, you know, I'm stressed or I'm upset. Oh my goodness. Advertising though, you know, it pushes Mm -hmm. us in that direction. You know, every single TV show with someone that goes through a breakup, they're dumbing a bottle of wine and eating a tub of ice cream. You know, it's like, there's all those kind of social norms as well that drive us towards these kind of behaviors, right? Learned behaviors. Cool. So Lauren, do you have any words of advice for anyone who is just getting started on a fitness journey, who's really struggling with any kind of, you know, disordered eating or really struggling to find a positive relationship with food? Maybe they're skipping meals. Maybe they're overeating. Maybe they're, you know, restricting or hoarding calories. Like you said, like, you know, not eating all day so they can eat a lot at night. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for anyone getting started on a fitness journey? Where do I start? What's the step? What's the first step? Absolutely. I would say the biggest tip for someone who is going through that restrictive mindset right now is like, I urge you to like say it into yourself in your head right now. Like, what is your favorite food? Like maybe it's cereal, maybe it's like chocolate chip cookie and then buy it at the store and have one every day because that ultimately is going to lead to more consistency in eating those whole foods as well than if you only ate whole foods Monday through Friday and all of a sudden you're sitting with an entire box of cereal on Saturday. If you normalize it, you're not going to overeat it. 
Yeah. They're, normalizing can be a really good way to do it. But if that person's patterns are to overeat and they know that having that food in the house is, is just not an option for them, what are some places in, in starting with, you know, basics of nutrition, you know, eating these foods for their nutritional value? I know for myself, it's encouraging people to get more protein in, right? So that you feel that better energy, you know, better recovery. Protein does a lot for our bodies, not just, you know, tissue repair, but it's super key for our hormones and things like that. Right. So do you have any tips in that sense when it comes to, to yeah. food or to developing a healthy relationship with food, you know, taking off, good and bad, taking off good and bad labels, like you said, and just normalizing that all foods are okay is a really big first step, but any other tips that you give your clients when they're getting started? Of course, right off the bat, I always try to educate on trying to have every meal with a protein source, like you said, but then also making sure you include like a vegetable and a carb source with it. So that way you are setting yourself up for success and satiety for the next several hours. Whereas if you just eat one protein or one carb, it's not going to set you up for the satiety that you're ultimately chasing by eating that whole food source. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I love that. Um, All right, you guys. So just a little bit of a recap here for you. First of all, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me today. It's absolutely lovely to chat to you. And I know that we share a lot of the same values when it comes to coaching. So super cool to have you on the podcast. If you are, you know, the kind of person who is really challenged by food and in, you know, it might be, it might seem like a very it's intimidating path to start walking down. If food is something that you currently rely on for comfort or, you know, it's a a reward system for the gym. Um, But the number one thing I think, you know, starting with is taking a look at your, your habits and your behaviors, you know, what happens when you're stressed, what happens when you're sad, what happens when you're excited and starting just to connect the dots for yourself. The other one would be to, you know, really take a look at the different values that food has in your life and taking off the good and bad labels so that you can enjoy yourself without, you know, feeling guilty if you want to go out and enjoy yourself on a holiday or a long weekend. And then lastly, you know, just like really remembering to, you know, shift your perception and to focus less on loss and more on the subjective measures and experiences of of what a whole foods diet or or what a a balanced nutritional approach can look like, right? Making sure that, you know, health and happiness are being valued equally. So again, thank you guys so much for joining us today and, and letting us chat that one out. I know for me, no cheat days is one of my favorite topics with our clients of encouraging just a healthy, balanced relationship with food. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will catch you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to your Vibrant Life podcast. I had so much fun and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to catch your weekly dose of health and wellness. If you found value in this episode, the number one thing you can do to support the show is to share this episode with someone who could benefit or leave a review. If you'd like to find out more about the online programs and services available at Health Pillars, go to healthpillars.ca and click Let's Work Together to fill out an application. I'd love to help you create your vibrant life. The Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well-designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good.